Psalm 119, 89 says, Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. We are blessed to have the written word of God. And today I want to make a case for why you should read the Bible and why I should read the Bible. The Bible is uniquely different than any other writing that has ever existed. Just the fact of looking at the history of the writings and how they have been preserved make a case that it stands head and shoulders above any other writing in existence. Many of you know the Bible is not just one continuous document that was written by one or two people that sat down and said, oh, let's put our thoughts together about who we think God is and, and what, what that God is like. Now, the Bible is actually a collection of writings of God's interaction with humanity at specific points in time and in specific places that actually can be tracked and affirmed even to this day. It was written by about 40 different writers who experienced God's presence or spirit, and it was written over a period of about 1,600 years from about 1500 BC to approximately 100 AD. It was written on three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. And yet with all of those varied times, it was written again through all those times, think about all those hundreds of years, the various cultures and cultural trends that it survived, and the various races of people that were exposed to it and it spoke to and yet there is a continuity to it and there is a harmony to it that holds it all together. The Bible is the most widely sold and distributed book that has ever existed in history. There are more documents and copies of manuscripts and pieces of ancient manuscripts that have been discovered and are still even being discovered to this very day, that you can compare those manuscripts and those documents with those that dated back further to double-check the accuracy to see, is what we have today what they had back then? And there are more of those manuscripts and copies of manuscripts and ancient documents available for the Bible than any other ancient writing. Nobody questions the writings of Shakespeare, and yet we have far fewer documents of his actual writing than we do the Scriptures. There are more translations of the Bible into different languages than any other book. There is, in the New Testament alone, over 1,600 different languages now that it has been translated into and still going strong, still counting. The Old Testament, there's over 1,200 translations into the languages of the people of the Old Testament, and again, still being done to this day. The Apostle Peter, who walked with Jesus, who heard him teach about this written word, has this to write to us today in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. 
Let me clarify something. Oftentimes when we hear the word prophet or prophecy, we think, maybe, maybe you don't, but I used to, when I hear the word prophet or prophecy, I think, oh, that's somebody that predicts the future. But according to Scripture and the way it's used here, yes, that can be a part of it as God is revealing things to an individual. God may say or impress on their heart, this is what I'm going to do in a future generation or at a future time. But when you hear the word prophet or prophecy, understand it is someone who simply proclaims the Word of God. It is someone who is a spokesperson for God because God has impressed on their spirit and their heart what to say. And so this is what Peter is talking about. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture or those things that we have written today that were written by those who God spoke to came about by the prophet's own interpretation. Right there, Peter is saying, we walked with Jesus, the Word of God made flesh, the Creator in the flesh. He affirmed the Word of God, and he assured us that none of the written words that we have was just somebody's idea of what God is. It is the Word of God. It didn't come about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So you can have confidence when you read the Word of God that it's not just somebody's idea about God. It is the creator of this universe desiring to communicate with us in a written way that he has and will preserve throughout all the cultural and world changes in history. And this is what we have in the Bible that we have today. Throughout his public ministry, Jesus affirmed the scriptures as God's word. And so this message today is basically taking a lot of what Jesus said about the scriptures and how he used them in his ministry to make a case for why we should read the Bible, especially if you are a follower of Jesus. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, it would be good for you to read the Bible because in it you will find what God is speaking to you and what he wants you to do in relation to him. So in Jesus' prayer, and recorded by the Apostle John, and it's written in John chapter 17, verses 14 through 21, John writes what Jesus prayed. So let's take a look at what Jesus prayed. He said in verse 14, I have given them your word. So there it is. Jesus is praying to God, and he's saying, God, I have given them your word. Now, when we look at Jesus' teaching, what he did throughout his public ministry is he taught the Scriptures, And so Jesus is affirming the Scriptures as the Word of God. So if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He really is God in the flesh, walking among us, the Word made flesh, and Jesus is affirming the written Word of God, then you need to do one of of two things. You need to either accept the written Word of God as the Word of God as Jesus affirmed it, or you need to logically come to the conclusion that Jesus was a deceiver, Jesus was confused, he wasn't who he claimed to be. You can't have it both ways. You cannot claim that Jesus was a good man, a great teacher, a great philosopher, and and a great person that we should look to if he was being deceitful and affirming something that wasn't truly the word of God. 
And that decision is yours, but I'm saying you just can't have it both ways. So if you truly believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be, then we need to take seriously the word that he taught. And so he says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Well, there's something that's still true today. When we simply take the word of God and what it says and we seek to live it out in our life or share it with someone else on social media or on our jobs, because the cultural trend is, well, we know the Bible says that, but we don't believe that, and we know we've moved on from there, and you need to get over yourself, and you need to get over the Bible, or you're out, right? It's no different today than it was back then. Jesus said, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. So why should we be surprised today with all of the cultural trends that when we speak the word of God, that people aren't going to like it? It's just a matter of fact. But don't get discouraged because Jesus in his prayer, he's stating this truth. He says, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So here's an important principle to understand as well. Jesus never intended us as his followers to keep our faith private. Jesus never intended us to keep our faith in our homes and in our heads and never talk about it because it might offend someone or it might bother someone. Jesus says, God, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm asking you to protect them while they're in the world. You know what that means? Jesus wants you and I to speak out. He's not taking you out of the world yet, and he wants you to make a difference. He wants you to be the voice of light and truth, if you have trusted Christ and his word is in you, then we are called to speak it out because if we don't, who will? And you know the answer is no one. So we are it. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. What does sanctify mean? It sounds like a big fancy word. It simply means set them apart. Make them different than the rest of the world. And you know how they're going to be different than the rest of the world? Because they actually believe your word. They actually are patterning their lives after your word and the standard for their life after your word and not like the rest of the world. That's what sets them apart. Sanctified. It's a position that we take, but it's also something that we learn to grow into. Because I don't know about you, but I'm a work in progress still at this point. God is still working in my life, and I still am, am praying for wisdom. And Lord, how do I respond in all the changes of the culture to where I can honor you and still let people know that you love them and I love them? It's not about hate. Just because you disagree with someone or say the word of God says this doesn't mean that you hate them. You're just trying to share the word of God. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And again, he's talking about the written word. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus was saying, I'm getting ready to go to the cross, Lord, because I want them to know how serious this is. So I'm setting myself apart. I'm on this mission for you. I'm going to give my life for the sins of everyone, no matter their race, no matter their creed, no matter their language, no matter the culture, whatever. This is for everyone. And Jesus did that when he hung on the cross. And he died 
telling the truth. He was crucified because he said, I am God in the flesh. I am the Savior. And they didn't believe it. They rejected him, and so he allowed himself to be killed. They didn't take his life. He gave it. Jesus said, no one can take my life from me. I give it. And then he took it up again three days later when he conquered death to show that he truly is the creator of life. And he did it also to justify before this holy and righteous God some things that we don't fully understand, but God was demonstrating to us, this is how much I love you. Even though you're rejecting me, you're spitting in my face, and that's what people did to Jesus on the cross. They mocked him, they spit at him. But you know what? As we sang a few moments ago, he's an unstoppable God. And three days later, he came back to life, came out of that tomb, and he said, I'm showing you who I am. And he spent time with his disciples after that and those that followed him. And then after a period of time, he said, I'm going to go back to the Father. I'm going to go back up into heaven, and I'm sending my Holy Spirit into the world to indwell you, to empower you, so that you can be my witnesses for future generations. And I've given you my written word. So Jesus still wants us to read his word today and to stand for him because he set himself apart and did all this for us, and he wants us to set ourselves apart to live for him. And so in this prayer, as John is recording this in John 17, we get to verse 20, and we see that now Jesus prays for you and I today. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me today. I am here today speaking the word of God because people in previous generations believed the message, put their faith in Christ, experienced his Holy Spirit in their life. They stood up for Jesus. They preached the message, even when it was unpopular, and even when people made fun of them. And there were those who believed, and I was one of them. And now I'm standing before you today, and I'm telling you the word of God, and I'm proclaiming this to you unashamedly and in love, so that whoever might hear might put their trust in the eternal God. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And the message we have is the written word of God. We should read the Bible. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. You see, reading the Bible also gives us discernment when we're tempted it helps us to guard against spiritual disinformation. You know, there's a lot of talk today about misinformation and disinformation. It's nothing new. Satan has used this for centuries and centuries, and he wants to give you spiritual disinformation, intentional to lead you astray. And this is why we have it written and documented as Jesus was tempted by Satan because the scripture tells us that when God took on flesh and blood and became one of us in the human race, he wanted us to understand that when we're tempted, he's endured that as well. So when you're tempted, he understands the pressure you feel and some of the thoughts you go through. And so this is recorded for us, again, in scripture. It is written that we can read and we can learn so it will help us to guard against the spiritual disinformation that the voices of this culture through whom Satan works, even sometimes when they don't realize it, and tries to draw us away from the truth of God's word. 
So Jesus went out into the wilderness and he went without eating for 40 days because, again, he just wanted to be fully ready for this task of his public ministry. And as he went without food and as he prayed, Satan looked for an opportunity to throw him off track and to get him to abandon his mission. And so Satan approaches Jesus and says, Jesus, come on now, you are the son of God. And come on now, if you're really the son of God, then you could turn one of these stones into bread and you don't have to go hungry. Go ahead, come on, do it, show, prove who you are. And Jesus' response, and this is so important for us, look at his response. It is what? It is written. Right there, Jesus is showing us the example. You should read the word of God. You need to know the word of God so you can know how to stand against the temptations that come our way that try to pull us away from a relationship with God. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. There again, Jesus is saying, know the word of God. Read it, eat it, take it in, have it as a part of you so that it can shape your thoughts. And the devil took him to a holy city and had him stand on the highest temple. And now so, Je so Satan picks up on what Jesus used. He's like, Satan's like, oh, he used scripture. Well, I know scripture too. So Jesus says, if you're the son of God, then throw yourself down, for it is written. This is the devil now quoting written word of God. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up uh, in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Ooh, uh-oh. Was this a gotcha for Jesus? Nope. Look at what he said. It is also written. He comes back with the written word of God. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. How is this important for us today? Because you'll get challenged today. There will be people that will come to you and they'll say, well, aren't there contradictions in the Bible? Because the Bible says this and then it says this. And they think smugly they've got you in their little trap. But if you read the Bible for yourself and you get familiar with the entirety of the teaching of the Word of God, then like Jesus, you can say, you're right, it says that, but it also says this, and it says this, and it says this, and it says this about that topic. So that all trumps what you just said. But you won't be able to do that if you don't know the Word of God. You'll believe what they say. You'll, oh, yeah, I guess you're right, boy. I've really missed it. You need to read the Word of God. And you need to study it and have it to be such a part of you that you can withstand the spiritual disinformation that is out there constantly. And then finally, Satan took him uh, to a place and just basically said, hey, look, you know, God has given me power in this world. He's allowed me to have power. So why don't you just circumvent this whole process? Why don't you just bow down and worship me? You don't have to be crucified on the cross. You don't have to do all that. Just worship me and you'll have an easy life and it'll all be good. And again, Jesus said, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then in the Gospel of Luke, when it records this incident, it says that the devil left him until a more opportune time. You see, the devil is constantly looking for an opportune time. In every culture, in every generation, he is looking for a way to get us off track. And we need the written word of God to guide us through. 
Reading the Bible helps us guard against cultural drift. What do I mean by cultural drift? Well, any time a culture ignores what God has written and what God has taught that is best for societies and for cultures to live by, such as moral principles and principles about our sexuality, about marriage, about greed, about materialism, about all those things that pull at our senses, when a culture basically lays all that aside and ignores it, we're going to begin to drift. We have no anchor, we have no standard to go by, and therefore it's just going to change with whatever political party is in power at the time or whoever the government is at that time or whatever the popular opinion is at that time, and you're just going to drift. And before long, you don't realize how far you have drifted from God's intent for our lives. And so in Jesus' day, there were some religious leaders that had some questions about marriage because, hey, every culture deals with, with marriage issues. In that day, they were asking him a question basically about no-fault divorce. They were like, hey, Jesus, you know, in, in the law of Moses, he permitted divorce. And like, so people could just, if they don't like their wife, they can just write them off, give them a divorce, send them on their way, and they can marry another woman. And that's what our culture's doing. What do you say about it? And look at what Jesus said in Matthew 19, 4. Haven't you read? Have you never read? Do you not know what God has preserved and written about his design for marriage for all cultures for all time? Jesus replied, haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh so that they are no longer two but one flesh? Therefore what God has joined together Let no one separate. And then again, they said, well, well, why did Moses permit this then? And Jesus said, because of the hardness of your hearts. You know, sometimes God will allow things to happen in culture, not because he approves of it, but because of the hardness of our hearts. And so he says, okay, try this out for a couple of centuries and see how that works for you. So today... When we're faced with the current challenges of marriage and the cultural trend, and I say this in love, but I say this according to the scriptures, if someone would come to Jesus today and ask him the question, Jesus, what do you think about same-sex marriage? What do you think about gender transitions and you know, this, this current thing that we're going through? Based on what Jesus said back then in that culture about marriage, I believe firmly that Jesus would say the same thing today. Haven't you read? Have you never read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said for this reason a man will leave his father and a mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh? So they're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Don't let anyone redefine marriage. Don't, don't let anyone redesign what God designed. But, but Jesus, well, well, then why? Why is all this happening? Because of the hardness of your hearts. You've drifted. The culture has drifted. But my word is the same.
It is still the standard. One more thing about the one flesh. It's more than just sexual union. As I've prayed about this and thought about this, I truly believe the, the Lord helped me to see this. There is no better definition of one flesh, of a man and a woman coming together, than to bear offspring. How is that? Because the DNA of the male and the DNA of the female comes together and unites into one single entity, flesh. And literally the two become one flesh through their children. You are the one flesh of your biological parents. I am the one flesh of my biological parents. Now they were imperfect people and all of our parents are imperfect people. We're imperfect people. But you see this meaning about marriage and God's design is so much deeper than just a legal transaction or just some kind of a thing that we want to do. It has to do with the way he designed nature. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 6 through 8, this was written in response to people who were being punished, basically, for standing on God's word in opposition to cultural trends. In fact, it's interesting. I, I'm not going to read this part, but right before this part that I'm going to read to you, the writer of Hebrews says to keep the marriage bed undefiled. And then he also says that there are many who are in prison for their faith. He's, he's alluding to all that. And then he writes this in Hebrews 13, 6. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mortals do to me? Right there, we're getting encouragement to say, you're going to live in times and culture where when you stand on God's principle, you might be put in jail. You might lose your job. People may make fun of you, but it doesn't change the fact that God wants the marriage bed to be undefiled. He's designed things the way they are. So don't, don't lose heart. They, what can they do to you? What's the worst they can do to you? Kill you? I'm not trying to be funny. But, you know, Jesus even said, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body and then can do no more. I'll tell you who you should fear. Fear him who, after you are dead, can cast your soul into hell. That's who you should fear. And God is the one who created us. And he loves us, and he doesn't want you to go to hell. Don't jump on that and go, see, yeah, God's mean. He wants us all to go to hell. That's why Jesus came, because he doesn't want you to go there. God loved you so much, he took on flesh and blood and came into this wicked, sick, sin-sick world and became one of us and then gave his life on the cross and then conquered death so that through faith in him, you can be forgiven, you can be spiritually born again, you can have a new direction because it is written. So then the writer of Hebrews goes on in verse 7 and says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way, their life, and imitate their faith. And then it says this, Jesus Christ, the one who changes from culture to culture, Jesus Christ, the one who is wishy-washy, Jesus Christ, the one who changes his mind and does whatever is popular. Is that what it says? Well, what's it say? Jesus Christ the what? Oh, the same? The same yesterday, today, and for tomorrow or forever. Hmm. What are you going to believe? Who sets the standard? 
So this is why I say Jesus would give the same answer today that he did back then. Reading the Bible helps us be prepared for opposition. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because they're willing to keep their eyes on God and have the standard of his written word and Jesus Christ as the center of their life, no matter what the cultures say or do, and that's living in kingdom of heaven living. Because one day this culture and the world as we know it is going to be gone but God's kingdom will be forever. You better start learning how to live in his kingdom now if you want to be a part of it forever. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You take a stand on these social hot topic issues that I've mentioned, or even, let's say, abortion, pro-life, people will say lies about you. You're a racist. You hate people. Because abortion is health care. We all know that. Abortion is health care. Abortion saves lives. Yeah, that's their slogan. Abortion saves lives. Well, it's all on how you want to twist that. Because there's a life that is being taken in the midst of you thinking that abortion saves lives. Oh, but it's not popular. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm making some people uncomfortable. It's not me. I'm not making you uncomfortable. I am speaking the word of God. You need to decide, are you going to line yourself up with that or with the culture? This is what the Lord puts before me every day, puts before our families. And this is why I'm sharing this in love, because if, if we don't proclaim it, who will? And I want to say this, if you've gone through that, if you've made that choice, if you've had an abortion, if you've listened to those voices and it influenced you, God loves you. That's why Jesus died on the cross. He gave his life on the cross so that you could have life and life eternal. He offers that forgiveness, but he alone is the one who offers it. I'm going to diverge for just a moment, but critical race theory, CRT, and I, I know that our culture, there are some systemic things in our culture, I do understand that, that has created not a healthy thing for all cultures or all races. I do. I, I understand that. But when you follow critical race theory to its end, there's no forgiveness. There's no hope. There's always going to be oppressors and the oppressed. Where's the life in that? But in Christ, it's, oh, I realize that I've been oppressed and sometimes I've been an oppressor and we're all guilty of it, so God, forgive me, help me to forgive our others and let's walk together in love and unity. This is what Jesus taught. That's the truth of what Jesus taught. But it's only through him that we're gonna find that unity. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Because again, sometimes just for speaking out the words of Jesus, people will say you're a hater, you're a racist, all that stuff. But Jesus is saying, don't let that discourage you because it just shows you're standing on my word. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Who were the prophets? The people who spoke the word of God, the written word of God. Reading scripture guards against uh, erroneous spiritual views. So in Jesus' day, there was a group of religious people 
And they probably read the scriptures some, but they must not have read them enough because they did not believe in the resurrection. They were called the Sadducees. And there's this whole joke, you know, they were called Sadducees. They didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were so sad, you see. That's how you always remember that. But anyway, <laughs> never forgot that. But they, so they came to Jesus and they wanted to make their religious, they wanted to prove their religious point to Jesus. And so they gave him this ridiculous scenario. They said, well, hey, the law of Moses says that if a woman can't have a child by her husband and the husband dies, then the brother has to come along and they get married and then they try to have a child so that that family line can continue on as part of the nation of Israel. And so they said to Jesus, but, you know, there was this woman and she had a husband and they couldn't have kids and he died. So the brother came along and then they got married and tried to have kids and couldn't and he died. And there was seven brothers and none of them could have kids with this lady. And they all died and the woman died. So Jesus, smugly they're thinking, if there's a resurrection, whose wife will she be in heaven? And this was Jesus' reply. You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. You should read the Bible. You say you have no clue. You're basing some false assumption because you've read a few things or you're going by what you've heard and you don't even know what the scriptures say or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Notice he didn't say they will become angels. He said they will be like angels. And angels aren't married. There's no record of angelic beings being married. And if you've had a happy marriage all your life, I hope this doesn't disappoint you, but I'm telling you the truth in love. When you die, you're not going to be still married to your spouse. Some of you are going to say, thank God, literally. <laughs> so, but, 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 but Jesus said, <laughs> Jesus said, you're not going to be married in heaven. There is a lot of misconceptions we have. I've shared this before. I've done a lot of funerals, so I don't mean this in disrespect. People say things and you know, you want to be cordial, and it's not the time to have a, a, a big discussion about all of these nuances. But, you know, like somebody that likes to golf when they die, then people say, oh, I bet he, he's up there golfing right now, having a great old, he's probably golfing with Moses. And, and I just kind of keep my mouth shut. <laughs> so let me just give you an example for me. I, I enjoy fishing. I don't get to do it nearly as much as I would like. I probably went once or twice last year, but I really enjoy it. And yet when I die, and when I go to heaven, if it's everything that people say it is, I can just imagine myself being out on a boat. I cast out, first cast, reel it in, 20-pound bass, awesome! <laughs> Woo! Can't take a picture because let's throw it back. Cast out again, reel it in, 50-pound catfish, awesome! Okay, after about 10 minutes of that, I'm going to be so bored right? I, I'm going to be like, uh, uh, okay, is that, is that it? I mean, I like to fish, but heaven is going to be so much more than that. Heaven is going to blow us away. And it's the same way relationally. As good as your marriage is here or has been or maybe has not been, the point is when you are in heaven in the direct presence of God and other believers, we're going to be so blown away and engulfed in that relationship that you'd be like, marriage, are you kidding me? And this may upset some of you, but it'll be like, sex, are you kidding me? This is so much better than anything I've ever experienced. 
But we put so much emphasis here in our physical bodies on these things that eternally we don't even have a clue. And Jesus even told us that. He told his disciples, there are so many things that I want to tell you about the life to come, but your minds would not be able to contain it. And that's why there's imagery used of heaven like streets with gold. And, and even some of the scriptures describe it as like translucent, like glass. Well, how could it be gold and yet be translucent? So again, not, I'm just saying, we need to go by what the Bible says and not expound on it. And so Jesus was using the written word of God to correct spiritual misunderstandings. I want to quickly move on through the rest of this. So I don't know if I'll hit every verse that you see on the screen, but if you downloaded the notes, you'll have them. But we need to read the Bible to understand what God offers us. That's how I came to faith in Jesus Christ. It's how you came to faith in Jesus Christ, if you have that faith. It's because of the written word of God in the Gospels for those who walked with Jesus were eyewitnesses account, eyewitness accounts of his. They recorded it for us so that we can believe. And the apostle Paul was writing to Timothy, and Paul was a skeptic. He at first didn't believe Jesus was the Son of God, and then later he realized he was. So even he was like one of the greatest skeptics of Jesus and then became the greatest uh, evangelist for him once he realized the truth. So Paul writes to Timothy here in 2 Timothy 3.14, and he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from who you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures. There it is, the written word of God, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The Apostle John writes this in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I've written this so you can know. I want it preserved. God wants it preserved for future generations. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. This goes back to what I said a moment ago about heaven. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. However, as it is written... What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. We cannot imagine what heaven is going to be like, but it's going to be awesome. And I'll say this, it sure beats the alternative. We need to read to learn how to live as followers of Jesus. Romans 1.17, for in the gospel... The righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. That's what encourages us. We've got to keep trusting and taking those steps of faith. Romans 15, 4, for everything that was written in the past, this is really important. This is why you should read the Bible. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the, encur and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. If you take away the scriptures, we have no hope. Peter, who walked with Jesus, again, wanted to reassure us that what they were seeing was not something made up or fairy tales. In 2 Peter 1.16, he said, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And then Jesus even asked this question in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? You cannot truly follow Jesus or claim to be a follower if you don't take time to read 
the Bible, read his word so that you even know how he wants you to live and what he wants you to do. Reading the Bible gives us wisdom. Psalm 119, 130 says, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. <laughs> the reason I love that so much is I'm simple. <laughs> Seriously, I'm not the brightest bulb in the pack. I'm not the smartest guy. But I have learned so much from the word of God that has helped me throughout my life. I've made my share of mistakes and I've done bad stuff, but God's word has helped me to learn and guided me so I don't make those same mistakes again and again. It's through the word of God that I learned to offer forgiveness. It's through the word of God that I learned to love people even when they at times can be very unlovely and unlovable. It's through the word of God that I learned not to steal. And I had, I had stolen before. But it was the word of God that convicted me and I'm like, that is wrong and I made it right. It's the word of God that has taught me not to lie. And I've lied in my past. How about you? A lot of times in my teenage years, I was lying because I didn't want to get in trouble, right? So, But it's through the Bible that I learned that that's wrong. It's through the Bible that I learned that life is precious. It's through the Bible that I learned the love of God. It's through the Bible that I learned morality and things about how to treat my body and how to be respectful of other people's bodies. It's through the Bible that I learned about marriage and his ideal for marriage. It's through the Bible that I learned about true justice, not just a popular trend of a type of social justice, but a true justice that comes from God that is fair for all people, for all races, even with the systems in place that cause problems, you can rise above it with the help of Christ. God wants us to have his written word. Exodus 24, 12, this is there for a reason. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments. I have what? I have written for their instruction. God could have said, Moses, come up here. I'm gonna tell you what I want you to tell the people and I'm gonna supernaturally help you remember every single word so that when you go down, it's gonna be me speaking through you. He could have said that, but he said, this is so important, Moses, I'm writing it down. And I'm not writing it on parchment, and I'm not writing it on uh, uh, papyrus. I'm not writing it on these things that are temporary. Stone, stone lasts from generation to generation. I'm writing this on stone. That was God's way of saying, I want my written word to preserve from generation to generation to generation. I've written it. Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14. Now that I am commanding you today, or now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you to, or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it, nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea and go get it uh, and proclaim it to us so we can obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart, and I would say it is on your cell phone. You don't have to go to Israel to read the Word of God. You don't have to get on a boat or a plane and go somewhere to get the Word of God. It is very near you because I've shared with you, God has supernaturally preserved it and multiplied it over all these years to make it most available to all of us. It's available to read. The question is, 
Are you reading it? Why read the Bible? Because God wants you to. It's very near you in your mouth, in your heart, so that you may obey it. The Bible says don't just be a hearer of the word, put it into practice, do what it says. Be a doer of the word, because that's where you'll be blessed. Joshua 1.8, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you'll be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and your way will be successful. God's word is forever and it's for real. Psalm 119.89, your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. And then Jesus even said this, his words are recorded in Matthew 24.35, heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away. And isn't it amazing? Over 2,000 years later, here we are today, and I'm proclaiming his word to you because it will last forever. It's eternal. Philippians 2.9 says this. It's not on the screen. Therefore, God has exalted him, talking about Jesus, to the highest place and given him a name that is above every name. That's been recorded do you realize this? Jesus is a name that is above every name. And there are, here's the proof of it, even in our twisted sick culture and all of that, there have been more songs written about the person of Jesus than any other person who has ever lived. More songs have been written about the person of Jesus than any other single person that's ever lived kind of interesting, isn't it, how the written word of God says that God's going to make his name above every other name? And we see the proof of that. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth. This hasn't happened yet, but if the first part happened, we know the second part's going to. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the question is, will you choose to do that now? willingly. Open your heart to Jesus. Read his word. Give yourself to the word of God. Give yourself to Jesus and see what he will do with your life. Let's stand and let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your written word. Thank you so much for those who sacrificed their lives. We didn't even get into that, Lord, through the centuries. People who literally who have died to make sure that we have the word available today to read it. Forgive us, Lord, when we have gotten too busy or too distracted with things that we think are important, and they are maybe in the moment, but when it comes to things of eternity, they're not important at all. Forgive us. Use this message today, Lord. Use your word to inspire us and hunger to read your word that we might be filled your word tells us that if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, for right things, that we will be filled. And one of the ways that we get filled is by reading your word. So Lord, I pray your blessing on this message today. Take it and use it however you want. Help us, Lord, to read your word, to put it into practice in our lives. And thank you, Jesus, for giving your life for us. Help us to learn to live for you. If there's any listening today who hasn't opened their life to you, Jesus, I pray right now that you just help them to know how much you love them. Your forgiveness is great. It's there for them. All they have to do is open wide their heart, their arms, lay aside their pride, and ask you to forgive them and to come into your, to their life. And you will do that, Lord. And you'll save them 
and then you'll guide them. Help us who are following you to be faithful. And we'll give you all the glory in your name, Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing this closing song. And as always, the invitation here, if you want to come up and to the front and pray, that's fine. You're always welcome to do that. But what matters is how you respond to the invitation that God's given to your heart. So whether it's right where you stand or when this service ends, if you want someone to pray with you, we can be available. Just come up to the front or find one of us. We'd love to pray with you.